Welcome to The Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of TheRandyReport.com, where you can find me every single day on the Internet reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. In this week's headlines, a former Dallas Cowboys linebacker gets married to his boyfriend, becoming the first NFLer in history to celebrate same-sex marriage. Michelle Obama snuck out of the White House to celebrate marriage equality. A hate crime suspect in Brooklyn faces 15 years in prison. A gay widower is being denied benefits by the Social Security Administration. And a claimed short film, The Real Thing, really is the real thing. All that and more on this episode of The Randy Report. Brandon McNamara, the suspect in a violent hate crime that sent two New Jersey men to the hospital with broken bones, was arraigned last week in Brooklyn Criminal Court. According to NBC News, McNamara was charged with second-degree assault as a hate crime, third-degree menacing as a hate crime, second-degree aggravated harassment, and other related offenses. The brutal attack took place on September 23rd outside the popular Williamsburg Gay Bar, Metropolitan. The 23-year-old is alleged to have chased two gay men while cursing them using anti-gay slurs. New York Police Department Sergeant Jessica McRory told NBC News that he punched the 30-year-old in the face, causing him to lose consciousness. He then grabbed the 29-year-old man and threw him against a tree, also rendering him unconscious. District Attorney Eric Gonzalez told the press this defendant allegedly assaulted an innocent couple simply because he perceived they were gay. Crimes that target individuals because of their sexual orientation, race, ethnicity, religion, gender, or other identity are a threat to everything we stand for in Brooklyn. McNamara eventually turned himself in after police circulated a photo taken by a bystander. He's scheduled to return to court January 16th. If convicted, he faces 15 years in prison. Good. James Taylor and Michael Eli of Arizona were together as a loving couple for 43 years, having met in 1971 when Taylor was 20 years old and Eli was 18 years old. In 1994, they moved to Tucson, Arizona. Taylor was the primary wage earner while Eli managed their household. In 2007, the couple celebrated their relationship with a commitment ceremony. And they married as soon as they could when a court struck down Arizona's ban on same-sex marriage in 2014. Sadly, six months later, Taylor passed away of cancer. But when Eli filed for Taylor's Social Security benefits, which Taylor paid into his entire life, Eli was denied. It turns out the Social Security Administration requires couples to be married for a minimum of nine months before a survivor can access benefits. It's worth noting that the couple would have married sooner, remember they had a commitment ceremony, but they were barred from doing so because of Arizona's marriage ban. It would seem logical that a well-documented relationship of 43 years would somehow be able to overcome this legal snafu. Says Eli, even though we'd been together 43 years, 
I'm barred from receiving the same benefits as other widowers, even though my husband had worked hard for 40 plus years and paid into the social security system with every paycheck. Now, Lambda Legal has filed a lawsuit against the U.S. Social Security Administration saying the nine-month marriage requirement for Social Security survivors' benefits is unconstitutional where same-sex couples were not able to be married for nine months because of discriminatory marriage laws. Peter Wren of Lambda Legal says, The federal government is requiring surviving same-sex spouses like Michael Eli to pass an impossible test to access benefits earned through a lifetime of work. Michael and his husband got married as soon as they could, less than three weeks after Arizona ended its exclusion of same-sex couples from marriage. But they were only able to be married for six months before Michael's husband died of cancer. Now, the Social Security Administration is allowing the heartbreak of discriminatory marriage bans to persist by holding same-sex couples to a standard that many could not meet, insisting that they be married for nine months even where it was legally impossible for them to do so. These benefits are as essential to the financial security of surviving same-sex spouses in their retirement years as they are to heterosexual surviving spouses. But the government is holding their benefits hostage and imposing impossible to satisfy terms for their release. Lambda Legal filed a similar lawsuit in September against the Social Security Administration on behalf of a 63-year-old lesbian in Washington State who was unable to marry her partner of 27 years due to the ban on same-sex marriage in that state. Jeff Rohrer, a former Dallas Cowboys linebacker from 1982 to 1988, married his partner of two years, Joshua Ross, this past Sunday in California. In doing so, Rohr became the first NFL player, past or present, to celebrate a same-sex marriage. Rohrer came out in an emotional interview with OutSports' Sid Ziegler this past week, and in doing so, shared the emotional impact the acceptance of his former teammates has made. Ziegler wrote that the 59-year-old had to pause several times as waves of gratitude washed over him as he spoke about how supportive his football family has been since he shared this part of his life with them. Rohrer told Outsports, The kindness of my friends and my family and my teammates. It's just been fucking ridiculous how nice they've been and how supportive and how they don't care about any of that. They just love me. They always have. Nothing's changed. To know that at a time like this, that they have my back, it's fucking amazing, said the 59-year-old. I never expected it. I figured the world is fucked, but it's not. It's amazing. While the reception to his coming out has been exhilarating, it is a complete 180-degree flip from his days in the NFL. A second-round draft pick in 1982, Rohrer played in 83 games over six seasons for the Cowboys. The entire time, he hid his sexuality from his teammates. He said to the New York Times, if I had told the Dallas Cowboys in the 1980s that I was gay, I would have been cut immediately. It was a different world back then. People didn't want to hear that. Rohrer referred to his younger closeted self as something of a monster he felt he had to keep suppressed. 
He told the New York Times, so many nights I cried myself to sleep, feeling like I was the Wolfman or Jekyll and Hyde or Frankenstein, some kind of monster that only comes out when it's a full moon, always living in the shadows. Now, a successful producer of television commercials, Rohrer met his future husband at Tortilla Republic, a gay bar in West Hollywood. He says he wasn't out at the time, just working in the area, and was killing time so rush hour traffic would wind down. He met Joshua. After striking up a conversation, he gave Ross his contact information. Although he'd never dated a man before, he admits the feelings he'd kept at arm's length for so long had become impossible to dismiss. He told Outsports, my experience is that people are born gay, and anyone who wants to dispute that, I'd be happy to have a conversation with them, including Vice President Mike Pence. I'd love to sit down with him. Growing up in a conservative Southern California community, Rohrer says the idea of being gay was not acceptable. He shares, when I went to Yale, it was the same thing there. And then I got drafted by the Cowboys. What am I going to do, come out then? It wasn't until after Rohrer's divorce, he has two children from his previous marriage, that he finally allowed himself to explore and express his authentic self. He shared with the New York Times that when he got divorced, I said the hell with it. I'm going to do what I always wanted to do. Then I found Josh and began to openly live the life I was born to live. Living that life has given him not only the happiness he's found with Ross, who's a successful esthetician and founder of Skin Lab, but also the courage to share his story with the public. He says, I'm not going to change the world, but we can at least get the message out there that it's okay and I'm proud of where I am. I'm not ashamed. I'm not the Wolfman anymore. My family and friends are 100% behind me. That kind of message can maybe move the ball forward a little bit. In 2017, Outsports' Jim Bozinski wrote that seven former NFL players who had played in regular season games had come out, as well as four more who had taken part in either training camps or preseason games. I certainly wish Jeff and Joshua the very best. Congratulations to the happy couple. I would also like to see an active out NFL football player. Fingers crossed that this happens sometime in the near future. In her memoir titled Becoming, former First Lady Michelle Obama shares a touching episode from the day the U.S. Supreme Court declared marriage equality the law of the land. The date was June 26, 2015. Although she had just returned from a funeral service for the victims of the Charleston church shooting, she saw crowds gathering in front of the White House as evening fell that day. From the window, she could see a purple glow. The staff had arranged to illuminate the residents in rainbow lights in celebration of the landmark ruling by the Supreme Court. Seeing the energy of the people, she found she was suddenly desperate to join the celebration. After checking with her husband, the president, who said, there are tons of people out there, you know I can't do tons of people, and her youngest daughter, Sasha, who was engrossed in her iPad, Michelle found Malia was down for the adventure. Here's the quote from Becoming. Looking out the window, 
I saw that beyond the gates on Pennsylvania Avenue, a big crowd of people had gathered in the summer dusk to see the lights. The North Drive was filled with government staff who'd stayed late to see the White House transformed in a celebration of marriage equality. The decision had touched so many people. From where I stood, I could see the exuberance, but I could hear nothing. It was an odd part of our reality. We made our way down a marble staircase and over red carpets around the busts of George Washington and Benjamin Franklin and past the kitchen until suddenly we were outdoors. Malie and I busted past the agents on duty, neither one of us making eye contact. The humid summer air hit our faces. I could see fireflies blinking on the lawn. And there it was, the hum of the public, people whooping and celebrating outside the iron gates. It had taken us 10 minutes to get out of our own home, but we'd done it. We were outside, standing on a patch of lawn off to one side, out of sight of the public, but with a beautiful close-up view of the White House, lit up in pride. Malia and I leaned into each other, happy to have found our way there. Michelle's publisher, Crown Publishing, reports that Becoming sold over 725,000 copies on its first day, making it one of the biggest debuts of the year. White Magazine, a popular Australian wedding magazine, has shuddered after facing backlash for not including same-sex couples in the publication. Founders Luke and Carla Burrell announced in a blog post that White Magazine would be shutting down after 12 years due to pressures after the legalization of same-sex marriage in Australia at the beginning of the year. Here's a quote from their post. Celebrating love and relationships rather than selling products has always been White's message. Last year, the Australian law was changed to allow same-sex couples to marry. Since then, we have been asked repeatedly why our magazine has not yet featured all couples. Like many people, we have had to reflect on our beliefs, not to judge ourselves or others, but to intentionally make space for new conversations. It's a long and continuing journey. It's not black and white. There are so many gray areas that need to be explored. Our greatest mandate is to love, and the biggest question we've continued to ask ourselves throughout it is, how do we best love? Now, what's interesting to me is that the Burrell's version of best love was to not allow same-sex weddings to be presented in their publication. After writing that they have, quote, no desire but to love, the Burrells say they had hoped to have space to work through their thoughts and feelings, but, but they claim a campaign was launched against them and they've lost sponsors due to their one-sided position on the issue. They say, we hope that one day soon our society can learn to accept people's differences and different points of view and love each other no matter what. That's where real positive change begins. Well, I personally agree. But the irony here for me, as an LGBTQ advocate, is that the Burrells continue to pretend they didn't take a side when they clearly did. They didn't learn to accept gay and lesbian couples' differences. Instead, they chose to ignore those same-sex couples who celebrated their happiest days. And regarding losing sponsors, 
This would seem to me to be the free market at work. In the end, statements of how do we best love and we're not about sides, we're about love, patience, and kindness ring false for people running an admittedly secular publication who ultimately chose discrimination over equality. I want to share with you a really lovely, thoughtful short film titled The Real Thing. It was written and directed by Brandon Kelly, capturing important moments, big and small, in a very quick seven-minute journey. With very little dialogue, Kelly guides his lead actors, Sophie Giannamore and Michael Torpy, up to and through one of the most crucial, life-altering moments a transgender child can have. Here's the official description. When a soldier returns home, things have often changed. For Staff Sergeant Michael Waltz, the ultimate change is in his child. While on his tour of duty, his daughter has transitioned and started living her truth. Today, he is coming home to surprise her. Parental love is unconditional. It transcends a person's memory of their child. The real thing is an infinitely stronger bond. I have to add that the short was honored as Outstanding Narrative Short Film at Outfest 2017, Programmer's Choice Award for Narrative Short at the Virginia Film Festival, Best Director and Best Drama Jury Award at the New England Film Festival, Grand Jury Prize and People's Choice Award at the James River Short Film Festival, and many others. This past week, Kelly released the film in observance of Transgender Awareness Week. I have to give kudos to Kelly, his cast, and crew for capturing such a poignant, real chapter in so many lives. I want to encourage you to head over to therandyreport.com and look for my post on The Real Thing. Sit back for just seven minutes and enjoy this really, really thoughtful film. And that brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report. If you enjoy catching up on LGBTQ news and a quick podcast, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't mind sharing The Randy Report with your friends. I like to think of this podcast as the 60 minutes of gay news, only shorter. And remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com and instinctmagazine.com, where I cover the daily news cycle regarding politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next time.